And so, each time when we begin to study the depths of our inheritance in Christ Jesus, the epigraph to our study of our inheritance, the book of Luke, chapter 24, verse 44. And the Lord said to his disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And so that we, as members of the body of Christ, could partake with Christ in all that was written about Him in Scripture, we will continue our study in the direction of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit and what we must do on our end so that we receive the right to set aside our former way of life so that we can be clothed in a new way of life. This is the great calling that God has predetermined for every individual holy person. This is His main calling. And if it is somehow wasted or lost or unfaithfully interpreted, then unfortunately we will perish and we will not inherit salvation. Despite the fact that we received it, we will lose it. To set aside the former way of life of the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22-24. through 24. For the fulfillment of this commandment, as we have already noted, there are three basic commands and verbs that are involved. This is to set aside, to renew, and to clothe. We've noted that answering these faithful questions will determine whether we would turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath, or rather, will we perfect the salvation that is given to us in the format of a deposit, or will we waste it, because of which our names would forever be blotted out of the book of life. And this is spoken about very few in other, very, very little in other churches. I think that many of you, just as I, are Christians or believers from a young age, and you may have at a young age never heard that salvation is given to us in the format of a deposit. Despite this, receiving salvation, we were told that now we must earn it. We must earn our salvation with a holy way of life. This holy way of life from one preacher to another preacher differed. And of course, for these people, it was an outward form. For a woman, it was a veil that she had to wear on her head. She could not wear makeup. She could not wear, wear any jewelry. She could not uh, braid her hair. She could not cut her hair. For this, many were excommunicated if the hair was, was cut. If a woman were to cut her hair shorter, she could be excommunicated in the church. Her dress had to be a lot uh, further down than her knees. I understand that um, we as brothers, we were told 
that you can unbutton only one button. You can't unbutton the second button on your on your shirt. You can't wear shirts with short sleeves. You can't wear hats. You can't wear ties. These are outer clothing. This is outer clothing that was judged. And then the second one was, when you're finally married, the brothers would tell me that you get a bride, bride not to satisfy your desires, but to continue on your lineage. And of course, I always um, commended myself. My conscience had judged me because this was placed in my conscience. And I didn't think about continuing my lineage. Who at 20 years of age thinks about continuing his lineage? I was just in love, and I wanted to be next to my wife and close to her, and that's it. What kind of children are we talking about here at 20 years of age? But I, th I was thinking, you know, maybe later on I will um, have kids. And these churches taught, bring flowers to your mother-in-law and do not drink and do not smoke and call your mother-in-law mom. And this is where the teaching ended about salvation. Nobody talked about if you do, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not going to be saved. This is what the Pentecostals believed. The Baptists, they might have had something else that they looked on. Every denomination had something different, something that they had to do in order to be saved. At the same time, it's interesting that they receive salvation, but then they say, if you don't, if you aren't saved, you have to do something. And a person continuously tries to do works and works and works, and his conscience continually judges him. Because they have certain demands that they can't fulfill themselves. That's why it's very important. I repeat, if holy people don't know that they've received salvation in the format of a deposit, they can never place it into circulation. Yes, they read the parables, and then they just repeat them, list them. But if then there's interpretation, then this, could, this would be a woe to these people because it would be based on their mind. There are such interpretations that cannot be spoken. Abraham is a tourist, some, some say. He's not a foreigner. He was a foreigner previously, and then he was an adventurer, and then he was a tourist. And this is what my sermon is going to be about, Abraham the tourist. So, and I'm just repeating, repeating what I've heard as the topics of sermons that I've heard growing up. Prophecies were placed higher than the Word of God. When I would tell the brothers, it's written, it's written, it's written, and one brother then all of a sudden blew up and he said, what are you talking about? It's written. For us it's important that God tells us. And then I said to the point to the Bible and said, well, who's speaking in this book? It's God. This was the kind of disrespect to the Word of God that happened, that happened, continues to happen in churches. Prophecies were placed above the Word of God. Of course, among this, there were those who prophesied correctly. There were those people who could understand. And all that we lived by was psalms. Not those that are sung today.
But those that talked about who God is, who He is for us, and what He has done for us. Today, you know, there are very many kinds of authors that exist. We must, whenever you take a song, you must study the author. Who is the author of this song? Who is its author? This is very important. Because Satan could present to you unique things. But they are going to lead you to perdition because they're not because they're not from God. Apostle Paul had had forbid the woman, had cast out the demon in the woman. Christ had wanted for him to for people to testify from him, people who could accept him as his savior, as their savior. This is what he wanted, for them to be like him. And in a certain format, we've already studied the first two questions and have stopped to study the third question. What conditions must we fulfill so that through our renewed thinking, we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man who has pre created by God in Christ Jesus in true righteousness and holiness of truth? We must understand holiness of truth here. Truth is holy. These aren't two separate words. This is one. Holiness and truth is one. With regard to this, we have already stopped to study the condition that is contained in the 18th Psalm of David, in which the Holy Spirit unveils the conditions thanks to which our prayer of faith can cooperate with the name of God Most High or the name of God El Elyon. So that with the noise we can take off the old man and cast him into hell and then replace the power of death in our body in the kingdom of heaven in the dignity of the power of eternal life. We've stopped to study the next condition that is comprised of, again, the 18th Psalm of David. And in this psalm, we see the conditions thanks to which our, our prayer of faith can cooperate with the name of God Most High. And this condition is comprised of, in our distress upon taking off the old man, so that we could call out to the Most High, like to our God, and proclaim the faith of our heart in the eight names of God that are comprised of who God is for us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, and who we are for God in Christ Jesus. And we've noted that this passage is one of the strongest images that show the cooperation of our renewed thinking in the image of King David with the name of God Most High and our resistance with our carnal mind in the image of King Saul and reigning sin in the image of our old man with his works. This song was written by David when God had delivered him from all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And we had begun to study David and Saul and all of the other enemies in each individual person.
We've noted that through the proclamation of who God is for us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, and who we are for God in Christ Jesus, so that God could receive the foundation to step into battle over our earthly bodies and destroy sin in our body in the face of the old man with the power of his redemption and with a noise forever cast him into hell. The thing is, is that God is vigilant in the temple of our body. He is vigilant over His word, not our words, and not over our understanding of these words. If we unfaithfully understand the word of God, if we unfaithfully proclaim it, God is not vigilant over these words. It's necessary for the word of God to be clearly clearly and faithful written in our hearts and coinciding with the written word of God. It's necessary. Otherwise, our prayers will satisfy us but will not be heard by God. According to its character, the prayer song of David contains three parts in which the standard of the character of a just prayer is presented. The first part is the message about the state of David's heart as a warrior of prayer when it defines the just status of his prayer as well as our prayer. Everything begins from the prayer state. We must have the correct prayer state inside of us 24 hours a day, continually. This is communication with God that is um, not ruptured by sin, in which God can talk to us at any time. You may talk with anybody at this moment, but at the same time, God will speak with you, and you can respond to Him talking about somebody else, talking about completely different things. At any time, He can speak in you uh, during the night, during the evening, during the morning, during the day. If you don't have a secret sin and if you are not carnal if you're not an infant in Christ Jesus or excuse me if you're not an infant who is swayed by winds of teaching according to the cunningness of men in whom the Holy Spirit cannot live although this person may speak in tongues because the Holy Spirit only lives in those people who understand him and who are voluntarily led by him he doesn't drag people People must themselves study and walk after him. We must uh, search, be investigators of his footsteps so that we can precisely and concisely lead after his footsteps because the enemy of the human soul has also marked many footsteps among the footsteps of God. He wants to make it so that we are swayed away. He has sown a lot of wheat. He has sown a lot of... I've taken a look at a wheat field before. There are some that are not fully matured. It may look like a wheat, but inside there are no grains. And when I had asked some of the specialists, farmers, who look, who specifically specialize in grain seeds? I asked them, how do we? How does this look like a, a wheat stock, but there's no grain in it? They tell me, in nature there exists, there always exists forgery. There is a dupe. 
There is a white mushroom and then there is a forgery to this mushroom. Every mushroom has a forgery. Satan copies things and tries to forge things. How do we study the footsteps of God so we can follow after these footsteps? Obviously an infant and a carnal person who speaks in tongues but who doesn't have the spirit and who doesn't accept that which is from the spirit and considers this foolishness, how are they going to follow after Christ? He will say, well, how? People say, well, you know, only your church has God. I've never said only our church has God and I've never said that God is everywhere. God is only in His churches. There where He has preached about and there where He has appointed and anointed man and not where this leader has been chosen and have comprised brotherly councils to then control him. The second part is the message about the components of a just prayer which provides a basis for God to deliver David from the hands of his enemies in the hands of Saul. The third part is the message that illustrates the prayer battle itself that is beyond the understanding to the mind of man because it's written in an epic battle, a style of an epic battle. In a certain format, we have already studied the first part. Now stop to study the second part, which unveils the components of a just prayer and the eight names of God Most High. There are more names, but here David mentions eight. Eight names of God, and all of them come from one another. And this name that we are studying, it will then discover itself in the next name. And the acknowledgement and proclamation of the powers contained in the heart of David and the eight names of God allowed David to love God and offer him praise so that he could be saved from his enemies. And for God, uh, these enemies that David writes about, they are enemies that live in him, not outside of him. And for God, acknowledgement of the truth in his names in the heart of David gave him the basis to enable his capabilities that are contained in his eight names in the battle against the enemies of David. Because with the proclamation of our lips, we can justify ourselves or we can condemn ourselves. By our words, we are justified and by our words, we are condemned. God has made it so that through instruction and faith, He gives us His words, we accept them, and then when we proclaim them, only then He takes this word and makes something, He does something in relation to us if we faithfully proclaim them. And if this is the faith of God and not the interpretations of some sort of masters of theology or so forth, depending on this, the level they've achieved. I understand fully well that there could be these sort of doctors that are anointed by God, but I very faintly believe this. I understand that we were also, I was also given this doctorate status, but those who had given it to me, none of them knows who Christ Jesus is. They don't, they don't know at all. They were just um, people who were lost. And one person told me, oh, you could have been one of the highest, uh, uh, highest levels. They gave me a doctorate, like as, as if like a doctorate, level of a doctorate degree, like in the book of the Bible. 
Of course, I didn't think about this before, but they said, you need this, you need this, so that, not for the church, but in order to represent when you represent yourselves to leaders and authorities, uh, people who have this um, this name that they are doctors or this this status, uh, they will be respected more. Those who had written this, they will answer before God. And so I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And so, the eight names of God, the Lord is my strength, the Lord is my rock, the Lord is my fortress, the Lord is my deliverer, the Lord is my strength in whom I will trust, the Lord is my shield, the Lord is the horn of my salvation, and the Lord is my stronghold. Sometimes people uh, come to me with a need. I said, take these four verses, uh, verses 1 through 4, Psalm 17, and begin to proclaim it before God. Loudly proclaim it with an expression. Walk around, read it 10, 20, 30, 40 times until this becomes yours. And when you do this, you will see that the need that bothered you and the need with which you wanted to turn to God, it, it has disappeared. You won't need to ask anything of God because God is going to take this declaration of yours. You see when you see that He's your strength, that He's your rock, your fortress, and so forth. And when you say this, that He is this for me, only then He receives the basis to demonstrate Himself to you as His strength, as His rock, as a fortress in a certain format as far as God and the level of faith have allowed us we have already studied our lot in the powers of the two names of God strength and rock and we've stopped to study our lot contained in the powers of the name of God fortress and let us remember that this prayer in which David declares his lot in the eight names of God Most High is the strategic teaching that is meant to be the calling for kings, priests, and prophets anointed to rule over their earthly bodies. Prophets who hear in their spirit the voice of the Holy Spirit, and God hears their voice. This is one who prophesies, or one who has a prophetic spirit, the spirit of Jesus. When you hear how the Lord speaks to you in your spirit with the Holy Spirit, and you, you will say, how? Well, right now He is speaking with you through the gospel word, through the preached word. And you must distinguish when one person says from another person. You must distinguish the words are. One, Both might say the correct words, but one might repeat something that is not in his heart and his word won't be anointed. And the other one, his word will be anointed. One in the same song, sung by different authors, has a different 
different effect on people. I'm talking about Christians. One in the same psalm has a different effect. If a person has a correct state before God, then this song begins to act in the hearts of people. Despite what his voice might, what his voice might be, voices might be different, but the power of the effect is the state of prayer, anointing, the anointing of God. And if a person has not accepted this anointing to rule over his calling the dignity of his earthly body as a king, priest, and prophet, then this prayer will not bring him any benefit. And so the property of the name of God Fortress, which we will be studying, has no relation to the meanings contained in the dictionaries of the world. The name of God Fortress used in this prayer song as a lot of the Son of God in whom and through whom a person could run to God to know God and be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven containing the program and the time for the fulfillment of the promise of God. In Hebrew, the name of God Fortress is defined by scripture. We must understand that a carnal person and an infant are unable to accept the seed about the kingdom. The seed about the kingdom is always a seed of salvation, and the seed of salvation is not always the seed of the kingdom. Lord, will you see me in your kingdom? Of course, the thief on the cross didn't understand. These are different things. Um, when he said, Lord, will I be in paradise with you? A person who is a thief or an unbeliever and repenting before his death, he cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's, it was never inside of him. An heir of the kingdom of heaven is he who accepted the seed and grew it into the fruit of the tree of life. This is who will be an heir of the kingdom of heaven. But if a person has not grown the fruit of the tree of life in himself, he might have heard about the kingdom of heaven, but he doesn't even he doesn't even understand what this is because these were just words and slogans that were used in churches. They weren't a teaching that was offered. In Hebrew, the name of God fortress is defined by Scripture as the abode of God, the dwelling of God, the sanctuary of God, an unapproachable light in which God abides, the place where man knows God, the opportunity to be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven, the atmosphere of God's success and God's joy, the hope and trust in God. Basically, the fortress of God is the place where God abides, in the limits of which he can acknowledge God and be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven heaven. And as we know, this place is found in three unique dimensions, in the height of the heavens, in the sanctuary that is known as the body of Christ, and in the face of God's chosen remnant, in the heart of a person who is humble and contrite, and who trembles before the preached word of God from the person whom God has clothed in the powers of his fatherhood and in the lips of the helpers of this person. It's very important. I always say these are three vessels that converse with one another. When you pour in one vessel, the water, the water is at level among all three vessels. When a person's heart has accepted the kingdom of heaven, then now 
This will be in him in three different dimensions. The church is the kingdom of heaven on earth. A person who has a partaking to the church is the kingdom of heaven on earth. And the heights of the heavens is also the kingdom of heaven. And that which will occur in the heights of the heavens will immediately be known here in our hearts. Everything that God will say there or every kind of movement, the state of God will be transferred from one dimension to another because the kingdom of heaven depends on on the reaction of God. There was a time when God cried and the earth also trembled and cried. God moaned in pain when he saw that all the thoughts of men were always focused on evil. And it's written that, and the Lord was sorrowful in his heart. When I um, when I studied this word, when he was sorrowful in Hebrew, this means he had gasped from pain, from tears. It was so painful to him. He had created man as his household, desiring to make it his household. But a person became the household of his enemy who tried to take up his place, the enemy devil, who was a former cherubim who had fallen. That's why at the same time developing the significance of the inheritance contained in the name of God fortress one should not lose sight of one unquestioning pattern that God can be our fortress under one condition if our heart will be his fortress if our heart has a kingdom of heaven this means that our heart will be his fortress and then in gratitude God will allow his heart to become our fortress now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. You see, in order to have this kingdom, in order to have this kingdom of Christ in us, certain conditions must be met. If God is going to see that yours and my heart is not acceptable to Him, He is not going to dwell there. If He sees that uh, foxes, there are holes for foxes, nests for birds, He's not going to dwell there. If you want to bury the dead, he is not going to dwell there. If you want to say farewell to your relatives, he's not going to dwell there. Another place of scripture said, remember the wife of Lot? She looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. She looked back at her relatives. What about your relatives? Save your own soul. Your relatives are your deities. Why are you looking at them? 
save yourself. According to the words of Jesus, to enter into the inherited lot contained in the name of God Fortress is possible only by following the footsteps of Christ as his disciples, whose hearts became a fortress for Jesus where he could lay his head. And so one of the conditions to following the footsteps of Jesus to the fortress of God that we will talk about in greater detail is necessary to let the dead bury their dead. And these dead are the category of parents who, being believers, rejected the truth offered by him as well as paying the price to be a disciple of Jesus. The significance of the lot contained in the name of God Fortress as the house of prayer is a strategic teaching for us that is meant to conduct a prayer that gives God the basis to be introduced into our lives in order to fulfill His desires which He offered to us in His legislation. It is also one of the most important and necessary disciplines of truths that are called to participate in our salvation as well as our coming to power over our calling that is comprised of the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. And so, our lot in the name of God, fortress, becomes one of the primary goals toward which all redeemed by God must strive to and place on the top of the pedestal of priorities. From this it follows that the name of God Most High in the dignity and purpose of the fortress is a place where, despite various circumstances and times, we must run to in order to receive help in the place where we are called to know God, abide in God, and be fertilized by the seed of truth in order to grow the fruit of the Spirit. According to this meaning, the name of God contained in the dignity of a fortress speaks of how and on what conditions God could be a fortress for his chosen remnant toward which his nation can run to in order to know him and be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven in their spirit. According to the sequence in which David presents the names of God which come for one another and discover themselves in one another so that God could receive the basis to enter into battle for the adoption of our bodies with the redemption of Christ, we have noted that the law and the purpose of the strength of the name of God Most High so again, the name of God, strength, is comprised of clothing a person in double garments of justification that could protect him from the deadly cold of sin. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rub rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. She will have no lack of gain. She does him good. Strength and honor her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. This is talking about the wise woman that we must become. Furthermore, when we study the name of God, firmness, or the name of God, rock, then this was comprised of clothing the spirit of a person and the powers of perfect peace in which a person could weigh himself on scales of justice. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3. So first, you, you gain the strength of God in double garments. With this, you become firm. Therefore, double garments discover themselves in firmness where you can now weigh yourselves. And now, the law and the purpose in the name of God, Most High Fortress, 
is comprised of a person in Christ Jesus being able to run and draw near to God in order to know God and be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven. This is what is said about those who can run to God. Their nobles, so again, their nobles meaning the people of Israel, their nobles shall be from among them, and their governors shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 21 through 22. So here this is referring to Christ who is going to be taken from the people of Israel come for he's going to come from in the flesh and only he can draw near to his heavenly father and when we accept him then in him we are made the people of God and God will be made our God in other words only after we weigh ourselves on the scales of justice having cleansed ourselves of every impurity of the flesh and our spirit and spirit with the abilities contained in the name of God rock we will receive the right in Christ Jesus to the lot that is contained in his name fortress in order to draw near to God and be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven Thus, the verb draw near to God or fortress contains the abilities that give a person the ability to be fertilized by the seed of the promise that relates to the door of our hope, with the fruit of which God will receive the basis to enter into battle over our body in order to destroy the power of death in our body. And with a sound, forever cast the old man out of our body, whose weapon is the power of death. The power of death that the old man trusted in. In Hebrew, the phrase draw near to God means to approach the altar, to proceed to the knowledge of God, enter the sanctuary of God, draw near to God, resort to the help of God, finding yourself in the fortress of God, to be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven, and to cultivate fruit to offer God. With this kind of definition, the law in the names of God fortress contains different shades and meanings, and depending on the situation and time, is multifaceted. And so, first, the name of God in the dignity of fortress is called to be the legal right to a relationship with God through knowledge of one another. So, knowledge of man toward God and God's knowledge of man. Second, the name of God in the dignity of fortress in Christ Jesus is called to place the promise on the account of man, which God has placed in the fortress of his name, which man, for certain reasons, has not accepted yet. Because his new man had not yet formed the reproductive function so that it could be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven, giving him the ability to be fertilized again by the seed of the kingdom of heaven. We have a little sister and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister? This is referring to infants in Christ and carnal people. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. We know that a wall in scripture is repre represents the image of perfection. As Christ said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. So this is the door through which the Holy Spirit will enter into man as Lord. 
Cedar is a symbol of righteousness. If a person does not have these two kinds of righteousness, formats of righteousness, the justification that has become righteousness, the justification has become righteousness, then his door does not have cedar. Cedar is a symbol of righteousness. The righteous florist flour, flourishes like a palm tree. It says, if she's a door, we will close her with boards of cedar. And then this person could receive the seed of the kingdom of heaven. And then another voice answers. Here is uh, it's the category of the bride of the lamb. I am a wall, my breast like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. Pay attention. People can't understand that. When we're talking about these breasts, two breasts, as she says, The breasts like towers, the image of Thumim and Urim. They're like towers with which allow her to know when the enemy is approaching. Her nose is like is like a tower. It can sense the enemy. It's a tower that we can stand watch. But what God is going to say and he will answer. This is what it means. My breasts are like towers. Then it became in his eyes as one who found peace. People not understanding this meaning, sometimes they are embarrassed at this place of scripture. They don't understand that we're talking about spiritual things here. Third, the name of God in the dignity of fortress is called to bring the power of God into all spheres of our life, to give us the ability and opportunity to draw near to God and in this manner be fertilized by the seed of every truth. Because the verb to draw near is the verb, is an intimate verb. And I drew near to the woman and she conceived and gave birth, prophet Isaiah says. When you draw near to God, God allows you to know himself and you receive the seed, the seed that will fertilize you. God will never allow himself to allow a person to know him who doesn't have a reproductive organ, who is unable to receive the seed of the kingdom of heaven because he is swayed by every kinds of winds of teaching, whose door is not covered with cedar, and who doesn't have embattlements that will, would be built. It says, if she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. This is an image of salvation. And subsequently, as a result, in the law contained in the name of God, Deliverer, we receive the opportunity to bear the fruit of truth in order to be clothed in the dignity of his light and cast out the old man from our body into the underworld. And so each time God, through the Holy Spirit, allows a person to run or draw near to Him, then as a result of this closeness, we will always have a coinciding fruit in the sphere in which we run to God. But also, like in previous names of God, we should know that the presence of the fortress of God in one of the spheres of our life cannot be an automatic guarantee for its presence in other spheres of our life. 
because according to revelations from Scripture, for the presence of the fortress of God, each individual sphere of our life must be brought to a state in which it is cleansed from dead works, and there would not be holes for foxes or nests for the birds, and for the power of God to receive the basis to produce the fruit of righteousness in the sphere in order to give us the legal right to draw near to God or fortress so that we could obtain the fullness of salvation. Thus, it is us who, in each individual sphere of our being, are responsible for creating a kind of atmosphere that could give God the basis to be our fortress, so that on our end we could give God the legal right to be our basis. In this atmosphere that is called to give God the basis to be our fortress is the good soil of our heart that is able to accept the seed of the Word of God and produce fruit. When we accept the seed of truth, at this time, God becomes our fortress. He becomes our fortress inside of us. We become our, His fortress when we accept the seed of truth. And we can then produce fruit that coincides to the seed that we had accepted. The question of whether or not God will become our fortress, or on the contrary, will He be turned into our enemy and avenger depends on our decision and our subsequent decisions and actions. And this decision is in our choice to carry the responsibility for our vacation, or on the contrary, to reject our responsibility and turn the anger of the wrath of God upon ourselves. And so until we make the decision and fulfill our obligations in a covenant with God, God will not have the basis to become our fortress. When we take these obligations upon ourselves, then at this time we make ourselves a fortress for God. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throat. He knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then the angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Luke chapter 22, verses 41 through 43. Pay attention here. When a person says, not my will, but yours be done, and when he agrees, when he understands what kind of will this is talking about, this is talking about taking off the old man with his works. Because here, Christ is supposed to die. Die for us. And he says, let let your will be done. I'm ready to die. And when his words coincide to the will of God, and when the will of God finds a place in the heart of Christ, it becomes a fortress for the Heavenly Father. Then the Heavenly Father gives him the opportunity for him to be in his fortress. He sends an angel from heaven who strengthens him before before this mission. And from these words, it follows that the building of an atmosphere that would give God the opportunity to help us and give us strength to come to Him is the mutual and daily work between God and man, in which a person, having sovereign rights, could give God the legal right to become a fortress for us based on His irrefutable conditions. Whereas God, as an answer to this kind of favor of man, could receive the basis to become a fortress for man, where man could run to fulfill his hunger and thirst for knowledge of God and gain the favor of God in the seed of the kingdom of heaven.
Considering this kind of a union between man and God, it becomes fatefully important to define the role of God and the role of man in each sphere of our being. And for this purpose, just as we did in the previous names of God that are called to become the lot of our salvation, we will need to examine the following questions. What characteristics and categories define our inherited law in the name of God Fortress? What purpose is our inherited law in the name of God Fortress called to fulfill in the realization of our salvation? What price is necessary to pay in order to give God the opportunity to be our fortress? So that our heart could be his fortress and he could be our fortress? And fourth, by which results should we define that God is truly our fortress in the realization of our vocation or our calling? First, without clear and comprehensive answers to these questions that we can receive through instruction and faith, in the strict order in which the body of Christ functions, we will have no opportunity to put into circulation the silver and dignity of our deposit of salvation. And second, through unquestioning obedience to the preached word of a man who has the authority of the fatherhood of God and his assistance, we will have no way to make a profit in the fruit of truth from the deposit that we put into circulation. And in a certain format, we have already examined three components of the first question. What characteristics and categories define our inherited lot in the name of God, fortress? And so... I will remind you of them, and we will continue our study further. The first definition of the fortress of God, which gives us the right to draw near to God in Christ Jesus in order to adopt our body with the redemption of Christ, is called to be God himself in the greatness of the word that proceeded from his lips. Second, the definition of the fortress of God for us will be the good hand of God. Third, the definition of the fortress of God is our belonging to the generation that comes from the promised seed of Abraham. And the fourth definition of the fortress of God is the holy tabernacle of the Most High. God is our fortress and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. So, the fortress of God is the place where He abides. Here, uh, it says that this is the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. We should know that each time we are talking about the right to run to our help, which is contained in the fortress of God, then this means that this name contains, first, one of three specific places of God on which God dwells, which is our fortress. So this is the height of the heavens, the Church of Jesus Christ, and our heart that is prepared wise. Second, it is found in every name of God. Every name of God contains specific properties depending on the help which we specifically need. This name will be manifested depending on the type of help that we need. Third, in every name of God, our identity with God is contained similar to that of the Son with the Father.
Fourth, in every name of God, our fate in God is contained. Fifth, in every name of God, our powers and abilities are contained, which coincide to the powers of God. In this case, the fortress of God for each saved person is the holy tabernacle of the Most High and the dignity of the High Jerusalem. Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Furthermore, it talks about how the bride is adorned for her groom. Revelation chapter 21, verse 9 through 10. A person who does not have an organized partaking to this great mountain and city cannot come to God as his fortress. Psalms 121.1 A Song of Ascents I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my health. In this song, the power to draw near to God or fortress talks about the ascension into the tabernacle of God in Jerusalem bound in mountains the symbol of which are the promises of God. Jerusalem is found on promises, on the promises of God. This is an image. To raise our eyes to the mountains on which Jerusalem is located under the name Zion means to raise our eyes on the promises of God, which are the holy foundation for the great and holy city of Jerusalem in the face of the bride of the Lamb, which represents for us the fortress of God. For every saved person, Jerusalem, in the dignity of the fortress of God, is called to appear to a specific gathering of saints in which we found ourselves in the providence of the Holy Spirit and through instruction and faith have received the seed of the kingdom of heaven. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 25 through 27. How terrible. Can you imagine how terrible people uh, run around from one church to another? <laughs> run around. If this is not the church that represents the kingdom of heaven on earth. But if you ended up in the church that is the kingdom of heaven on earth and you will leave it, that's it. There is no sacrifice for sin remaining. There will be a great and fearful judgment. A fire indignation which will devour the adversaries. Our assembly is a fortress of God in which we partake to the body of Christ. A person who leaves his assembly leaves the fortress of God and in doing so loses the ability and opportunity to draw near to God. And consequently, he loses what he's worked on. This is referring to uh, he lost the opportunity to come to authority over his calling in order to dominate the rational capabilities of his new person over the rational, volitional, and emotional capabilities of the soul. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Second John chapter 1, verse 8. And so the primary calling of every saved person 
is the adoption of his body through the redemption of Christ in the fortress of God, which for us is our assembly. Only after accepting and mastering this promise through the preached word, we can become capable to run to God or fortress to fulfill the promise of the light and be a network of the kingdom of heaven for ourselves, for our home, and for the people around us. Fifth, the definition of the fortress of God is the altar of the Lord which we are called to draw near to for service in the sanctuary in a temple of our body. Then I will go to the altar of, the, of God. To God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Psalms 43, verses 4 through 5. The altar of the Lord, serving as a fortress of God for us, is our heart that is cleansed from dead works with the teaching of Christ engraved on its tablets. Under the condition that we have a partaking to the altar, that is, the Church of Jesus Christ, in our motives, in our goals, and our teachings, because an altar is a teaching motives. If these motives and this teaching does not coincide to the Word of God, then this church and this person cannot be an altar of the Lord. Evidence that our heart is the altar of the Lord is seen when the motives and goals of our heart comply with the requirements of God's will. When the motives and purposes of our heart meet the requirements of the will of God, we gain the ability to know God in order to be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven. Considering that the altar of the Lord in the format of our prayers is the joy and gladness of God, it follows, so meaning God rejoices, it's God's gladness, His fortress is His joy and gladness. It follows that if the will of God and the goals set for us are not the joy and gladness of our heart, then for God, this altar cannot be joy and gladness, and consequently this altar has no legal right to be called an altar of the Lord. The knowledge of God in which we get the opportunity to be fertilized with the incorruptible seed of the kingdom of heaven through the preached word of the messenger of God is called to occur in an atmosphere of joy and gladness. Before the altar of the Lord becomes our fortress in God, the atmosphere of joy and gladness in our hearts, stemming from the promises of God kept in it, is called to become a fortress for the Holy Spirit in which God could receive a reason to know us. It is the mutual right to be a fortress for one another that gives us the legal right to draw near to God in joy and gladness so that we can know one another and make our hearts able to be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven which in the fruit of our spirit is called to represent the perfection that is inherent to the perfection of our Heavenly Father. The atmosphere of unearthly joy and gladness is called to be verified by our relationship to the carriers of righteousness and the carriers of lawlessness. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. 
You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. This was taken from the 45th Psalm of David. Our heart can be a fortress for God when our hatred toward the wicked is equal to the level of our love toward the carriers of God's righteousness. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered... Um, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fear sustained me, Isaiah 63, 5. This means, in the prophet Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, that anger that was in the heart of Isaiah had helped God. Because outside of men, the anger of God cannot do anything on earth. God cannot demonstrate His anger or His love on earth because He has contained Himself in His word over which He is vigilant. He had said, Let us make a man according to our image and in our likeness and let him have dominion on the earth. With these words, God had marked he had placed a line he had placed a limit and that now he needs a man in his image whose heart is going to demonstrate the anger of God towards the lawlessness and the love of God towards the carriers of righteousness God's holiness toward the deportees of His will is called to help us demonstrate this kind of holiness toward the deportees of His will, so that the holiness of God in His hatred toward the deportees of the law of God could become a fortress for God in our heart. Our hatred toward the wicked separates us from the wicked, just as tares and chaff during harvest are separated from wheat to put us in the barn of our Heavenly Father which is called to become our fortress. Without revealing the holiness of God and His fury toward the wicked, to separate ourselves from the wicked and lawless people, we inherit the fate that the wicked are called to inherit. Judges 5.23 Curse Meraz, said the angel of the Lord, curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Take a look. The word curse, it's said here three times. Curse. Mera said the angel of the Lord, curse its inhabitants bitterly. Curse them bitterly. Because they did not come to the help of the Lord. Meraz is a city in the limits of Naphtali, the inhabitants of which refused to help De Deborah and Barak against the military leader of the king of Canaan who cruelly oppressed Israel for 20 years. David says in Psalms 139, Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Psalms 139, verses 21 through 22. And this is what Luke says about this. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
Hatred and love must be equal. Sixth. The definition of the fortress of God is our looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, in whom and through whom we could inherit the lot contained in the name of God, fortress. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1-2. through 2 meaning he had drawn near to God. He had entered into the fortress of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. To run to God means to look unto the author and finisher of our faith, which in practice means to look upon the invisible reward placed on our account in Christ Jesus. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 through 6. You know, oftentimes theologians said there are about three and a half thousand promises. When I look upon the heaven, I can't how many promises there are. And when I look at the sand, I come, I'm astonished. And I say, what a depth, what a depth of riches and mercy. How incomprehensible are the promises of God. You need to understand that all these are the promises of God. Yes, of course, just to look at the stars, he said, these are your descendants. Our descendants are is the fruit of our womb, and the fruit of our womb occurs from the seed of truth that we are fertilized with. When we accept the promise of God, and we understand the meaning of this promise, and we look upon it, and we wait for it with hope and with joy, despite it tarries, still scripture says, wait, wait, don't look that it tarries, it will be fulfilled. And we know this, and we look upon this. And God imputes this to us as righteousness, accounts it to us as righteousness. And we look upon this, we practically run to God and simultaneously make our hearts a fortress for Him. When we look upon His promises, our hearts become a fortress for God, and the heart of God becomes our fortress. And according to this and many other places of Scripture, to see our gain in the invisible reward prepared for us by God in Christ Jesus, thanks to the silver of our salvation that we placed into the circulation, and us declaring the inexistent as existent, it is necessary to have eyes that could see the invisible and look upon the invisible. So Jesus came to the Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Again, I'm going to make a slight remark here. The word 
to believe to believe to have faith means to be affirmed in that which we have you will not be affirmed if you do not see signs and wonders faith comes from hearing the word of God but the affirmation of faith comes from the fact that we will see in the invisible realm not in this physical realm but in the invisible when you hear the word about the promise you have um, an imagination of the invisible when you begin to see this invisible promise that's why Christ specifically showed the difference here between faith in him and between affirmation of this faith you will not believe unless you see the signs and wonders noble said to him sir come down before my child dies Jesus said to him go your way your son lives it's interesting because he didn't see that the son had lived he just believed the word that Jesus had said and he went this shows this truth as he was now going down his servants met him and told him saying your son lives then he inquired of them the hour when he got better and they said to him he believed Jesus and he went on then he asks at what hour did he become better and they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him your son lives and he himself believed believed he himself believed in his whole household this again is a second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee take a look at how this sign is written it's not just the sign that's written about we see the principle contained here the principle of how to believe and then how to be affirmed we believe through the heard word of God and then God gives us affirmation we will see in ourselves God will reveal to this inner selves we will see and we will be affirmed the first and second sign were to give man the opportunity to be affirmed in faith so that they could believe in Jesus to believe the words of Jesus means to submit to his words when creating the first miracle Jesus told the ministers to take clean water into their jugs and bring them to the steward of the wedding feast they believed and carried the water to the steward of the feast but when they saw with their own eyes how the pure water in the hands of the steward of the feast turned into wine, they believed in Jesus and established themselves in their faith. In Hebrew, the verb to believe means to be established, affirmed, or to witness firsthand the reality of the existing promise of the Lord. And if the faith of the heart occurs from hearing the word of God, then the affirmation of the faith of God occurs from seeing the actions of the Lord in ourselves in signs and wonders that he knows about. The nobleman believed the words of Jesus that his son was healthy, but when he found out that the fever had left his son, at the very moment that Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives, he established himself in his faith, and him and his household believed in Jesus. These kind of eyes is the mind of man that could either be open to seeing the unseen word of faith or closed and seeing only what is visible as it is written but even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded we're not talking about people of this world but people who are in the church 
who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3-4 through 4. Sometimes there is a false impression, again, that these words supposedly refer to people of this world. But this is far from the case. This message is for the church, not the world. And we're talking about people who consider themselves to be just believers who, by their own conviction, see better than everyone else. That's why this is what God says in the word of God to these people. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So because he doesn't see, he thinks he's, he's clothed while he's naked. He thinks that he's rich being, being poor, having nothing because he can't see. People say, until you're your pockets are full with with money you can't believe I say I don't need this God has already revealed to me that we have nothing but have everything I know that on my account are incorruptible riches that have been placed that are incomparable to all the riches of the world and I know that I can have them according to the will of God when God wants me to have it and not the level at which he wants me to have it I'm an obedient child of God I don't take how much I want I only find out what God wants to give me as Jesus had said I speak only that which the Father reveals to me although I have a lot to say of you but I say only that which the Father tells me yes I would like to heal everyone he came uh, chosen remnants of God everyone was sick in the bath of Siloam he had healed only one person there whom the father said son there is one person who has 38 years been ill and in 38 years he, finally he came he came to the knowledge that his illness was because of his sin and he began to repent then so he said go he came to this man and said do you want to be healthy this man said yes he said your sins are forgiven you go take up your bed and go into your house his illness was the result of sin and not every illness is a result of sin remember that it follows from this prophetic mess passage that in order to obtain ointment for our eyes and thus get the ability to see the invisible and also have the currency to purchase this eye ointment one must realize one's inability to see the invisible with the physical eyes of our own mind or with our own mind second feel an irresistible need and desire to see the invisible because God gives it to only those who hunger and desire third to define the properties that the eye ointment is comprised of and fourth to define the currency that must be paid for this eye ointment Otherwise, we will not see that we are blind and will not know what to pay for and with what currency. And so, with what criteria and signs should we define spiritual blindness on the pages of Holy Scripture? What is eye ointment, and how must we use it? Also, how does the currency we pay for obtaining eye ointment look like? What is the face value of this currency? Blindness is our carnal nature that is expressed in trust in one's rational abilities. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 
First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. A carnal person says, I have my own head, I have my own interpretations, I don't agree with this. The reason for such blindness is due to our religious experience and our imaginary knowledge in which we believe that we ourselves are able, without help and cooperation with anyone, to establish for ourselves as far as the difference between good and evil, between clean and unclean, and between blessing and curse. The eye that is able to look upon the unseen is our spiritual maturity expressed in refusal to proceed from our rational abilities. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. Spiritual maturity, maturity as an expression of refusal to proceed from our rational abilities is a conscious and voluntary submission to the word of the person who is set before us by God. Spiritual maturity is your obedience to the person whom God has established before us. In spiritual maturity, in the dignity of an eye that is able to see the invisible, is our independence from material goods expressed in money for which they are purchased. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 24. If the heart of a person is directed toward money, and he thinks that he can solve all his problems with money, this means that he is blind and cannot see the invisible. Eye ointment that makes our spiritual ear able to see the invisible is holiness, without which no one can see God. As it is written, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. You see, eye ointment is holiness, the holiness of truth. Holiness, meaning separation, separation of what is clean from what is unclean, from what is holy from what is unholy. Holiness is expressed in hatred toward the carriers of evil and lawlessness in the face of people who have only an outward appearance of godliness but have denied its power. We must not communicate with these people and must depart from them because they are evil company. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Having a form of godliness, denying its power from such people turn away. Dwelling in holiness is dwelling in the truth of the teaching about blessings and curses, giving us the ability to distinguish good from evil and the ability to reject evil and choose good. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Considering that our time has concluded, I will not continue. Uh, leaders, please, at cell groups, continue. Continue this place of scripture because on our next service, I am going to continue to a different aspect and I'm not going to uh, touch us again because those who miss cell groups, yachekas, will lose a lot. And therefore, let us bend our knees 
bow our heads and let the Lord bless us in these prayers. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name. Again and again, we thank you for the privilege to hear your word in this place that has been blessed by you. To hear the seed of the word, the seed about the kingdom that prepares us for rapture. That prepares our bodies to the adoption of we thank you that we have accepted the seed and it grows in us and it has grown into the fruit of the declaration of our lips we proclaim the faith of our heart that you have adopted our bodies with your redemption and we have become carriers of the heavenly bodies we thank you for our heavenly bodies we thank you that you have adopted our bodies with the redemption of Christ Glory be to your holy name for this great honor and joy that we have. Our hearts have become an altar of joy and gladness that has become a fortress of you in the place of your dwelling. We thank you that you have allowed us to die to our nation, the house of our Father, and our corrupt desires. We thank you that all of this we can understand with the power of the proclamation of the faith of our heart by considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the non-existent as existent. After this, Satan cannot condemn us. Our conscience helps us because we see the invisible and we call this invisible as existent because it exists in the spiritual dimension and through our proclamations we transform it into the physical dimension may your mercy be blessed in your wisdom for your people may all the works of devil be destroyed in the lives of your saints. May the works of devil be destroyed between a husband and wives, between children and parents, between one another. May your mercy be blessed for your nation, and may illnesses be cursed in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. I accept for your inheritance healing that you have placed on our accounts in Christ Jesus. May it come upon your people and may be fulfilled upon all of those who accept this seed and who thank you for it and who stand in it and who look upon it. We bow down before you, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy.
To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.